I'm Jeff Hebert, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, Gospel Wabi Sabi, God's Good News for Imperfect People. Just want to remind you that the purpose of this particular podcast is pretty much just a straightforward study of Scripture. I'm not really looking at a lot of contemporary issues. I don't have a lot of axes to grind. I just want us to be able to look into get better insight into these great narratives of Jesus's life and the impact he had and the impact he continues to have on his followers. That's really the purpose of what this has all been about. And if this has been helpful to you in your understanding of Jesus and his influence on your life, I really hope you'll share it with others and that others could join sort of the Gospel Wabi Sabi family. Today is Season 1, Episode 35, and we're on John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, if you want to get ready for that. As we've seen over the last few episodes, there's been this storm brewing in Jerusalem that centered on this man, Jesus, this conflict over his teachings and his claims to be God's Messiah. It just outraged the religious and political establishment of his day, and what started as a small squall had now swelled into a major hurricane. There was a plot afoot against Jesus' life. There was a price on his head. The storm is building. How would you react to that kind of a situation? Well, colloquial wisdom tells us that turkeys and eagles react differently to a coming storm. A turkey runs for the barn, runs for the hills, tries to find a place to hide, hoping that the storm won't come near it. But an eagle, an eagle leaves the security of its nest and spreads its wings to ride the air currents of the approaching storm knowing the wind will carry it higher and higher into the sky, soaring over and above the storm clouds. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on what we now celebrate as Palm Sunday, he was riding into the wind, right into the very eye of the storm. The swelling crowds laid branches for him on his path, clamored for Jesus to create an even greater spectacle, but Jesus chose a different path. He chose to invest the last hours of his life into a time of special intimacy with his closest followers. And they gathered in secret in a prearranged upper room hiding place. In John's gospel, he leaves out all the intrigue that went into arranging this place. Code words, secret collaborators. John also doesn't give us any details about the institution of the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup at the end of the Passover meal. You have to go to the other gospels to get those great details. John does give us one thing not mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels, and that's the washing of the disciples' feet. And in doing so, he records how Jesus laid out for his followers, in both words and in actions, a summary of everything he had been teaching them about God and about himself, a summary of everything he was and everything he did. So let's read John 13, 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, why are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In this upper room gathering, we have one of the most beautiful demonstrations of the very character and love of God that is so at odds with the way we're taught the world is supposed to work. We live in a time of in-your-face sound bites, of playing hardball. That's the dominant metaphor for American life. Our interactions are confrontational and divisive. Balance and fairness, I mean, it's kind of a joke, really. Life is a competition of opinions with two or three or sometimes four voices simultaneously contending for, for dominance. And so volume is our greatest virtue. Whoever talks the loudest and the longest must be right. Get that last word in and don't ever look weak because that's just blood in the water and the sharks are circling. As one comedian said, all I ask of life is a constant and exaggerated sense of my own importance. You know, Jesus was so opposite of that. Here the gospel writer John tells us in verse 1 that Jesus knows who he is. He knows that his time has come, his time to face the agony of the cross and the exaltation of the resurrection. He knows that God has put all things under his power. Now think of that. All things under his power. Not standing in line with all the other great philosophers and religious teachers of the world, hoping for a shot at the title. Already preeminent. Already Lord of Lords. He already had all things under his power. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes John in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Did you hear that? All, every, everything, first, supremacy. Jesus had it all in the upper room and was ready to lay it aside so soldiers could shred his flesh with whips and pierce his hands and feet with nails. And he could carry the sins of the world and experience hell for you and for me so that we could be free to experience a whole new life with God. If we had all that power, would we be willing to lay it aside? How would we express it? How would we demonstrate that awesome power of God? Probably not like Jesus. 
Maybe levitate a table, shoot some bolts of lightning, bounce around the room. Jesus is secure in his identity. He knows who he was and what he could do if he chose to. And he chose to take off his outer cloak, wrap his waist with a towel, and like a common household servant, begin to wash the feet of his friends. Not an action associated with greatness and power and majesty and might. You see, it was normal when people entered a home of a wealthy person that their feet would get washed by the household servant. It's dusty in Israel. They wore sandals all the time. Their feet were dirty. Here in the secret gathering, there were no servants, and the disciples hadn't bothered to wash their own feet, and for sure they're not going to do it for each other. Imagine Simon the Zealot, the revolutionary, going over and washing the feet of Matthew, a tax collector who collaborated with the hated Romans. No way. So in the drama of this moment, Jesus begins to go around the circle to wash their feet. That's how he expressed his power by serving. But then he comes to Peter. Peter's been watching this scene unfold, thinking about it. He knew Jesus often did strange things to try and make a point, and he thinks he's got it figured out. He's going to out-humble everyone. He says, don't wash my feet. Why not? Because messiahs don't do that. We should be washing your feet. That's the point, isn't it? That's the right answer. It was a great speech. Unfortunately, it bombed. Jesus said, if you don't want to play on my team, or if you want to play on my team, I've got to wash your feet. No way you can be my disciple unless me you let me wash your feet. And then Peter tries to recover and so characteristically swings to the other end of the spectrum. Not just my feet, but my whole body. Peter, relax. I only want to wash your feet. This is just symbolic here. I don't want to give you a bath. I mean, I hope you bathe sometime this month, but I'm doing something that I want to explain. You see, I'm showing you what God's love is really like. I want you to model, I want to model for you how you should relate to each other. If I'm willing to serve you, you should be willing to serve each other. And Jesus demonstrated his strength and his power through humble, loving service. There was a 19th century English poet named Swinburne who once labeled Jesus the pale Galilean. And that image has stuck in a lot of people's minds. Jesus is a sort of this weak, fragile, pathetic character, all washed out, pale. I hate that. Nothing could be further from the truth. It takes amazing strength of character, amazing inner security, inner confidence to humbly serve others when they ought to be kissing your ring. Jesus never looked pathetic. Jesus never wanted anyone to feel sorry for him. Even when he staggered under the weight of that cross, he wasn't pathetic. He was showing the potential or the powerful servant love of God. He was demonstrating the servant leadership of the Messiah. He was giving us a model for how God wants us to live in this brutal and sometimes savage world. He wants his followers to be servant, servant leaders, secure in our own relationship with God, and so therefore able then to lead others to him through loving acts of service. We are all leaders at some level. There is someone you influence. That's what a leader is, someone who influences others. It might be a child or a friend or a co-worker, a neighbor, a family member. Not all people are upfront leaders, but we all lead in some way. There was someone that you are influencing. So finding inner strength in who we are in Christ knowing our basic identity in him, then we can be empowered to serve 
by the love we have experienced through Jesus. You see, there's a key ingredient in this formula. We're all like Peter. We've got dirty feet. We need to be washed. A while ago, a number of years ago, when we were vacationing in Vermont, uh, my son Jonathan spent the night camping at a county fair with his cousins who were showing animals at this fair. And so all day long, he played football barefoot in the fields. And guess what? You're stepping in a lot of cow pies. By the next day, when we went back to pick him up, his feet were just black up to those ankles. I mean, they were the dirtiest, nastiest, stinking feet I've ever seen, just caked with cow manure. Thought I'd need a blowtorch to clean them off. But it's amazing what a little water can do because it's that universal solvent, soiled beyond imagination and yet able to be cleansed. As we come to Christ, we begin to recognize our need to be cleansed. Too often we only compare goodness with others around us and conclude, well, I'm not that bad. And that's probably right, that's, but that's not how God looks at it. He's not grading on a curve. You know, the, asking the question, how do we match up with others, is not the same as asking, how do we match up with His holiness? It's pass-fail, and we all fail on that. We all need the cleansing of our sins, something only Jesus can do for us as we enter into a relationship with Him on a daily basis. He washes us clean no matter how we perceive ourselves. Some of us are too proud to admit it, too stubborn to accept it, too self-focused to believe it, too scared to say it. Jesus, my feet are dirty. Why? Why are we reluctant? Why do we hold back? The bottom line, I think, is that most people are simply pragmatists. We're not sure it's going to work. If I give myself completely to this Jesus, will it really work? Can he really cleanse my soul? Can he really launder my life and sanitize my mind? Will it work? Can I believe him? Will the words match up with reality? It's like the guy who spilled food on his suit while traveling out of town on business, and he sees this laundromat with the sign, One Hour Dry Cleaners. So he takes his suit in and says to the clerk, I need this back in an hour. And she says, I can get you this back to you until the day after tomorrow. And he says, I thought you did dry cleaning in an hour. And she replied, no, that's just the name of the store. So the words didn't match up with reality. Is this love of God for me real? Can I trust it? Can I really orient my life around the gracious love of Jesus? This is so important for all of us to try and to quote unquote live a Christian life. If you try to do that without an awareness, a presence, a living experience of the love of Christ in your own heart, that becomes a dry and very futile task. Brennan Manning, who once uh, led a retreat weekend in, uh, at our church in New Jersey and has some, written some great books about his own struggles for acceptance as a priest who became a skid row alcoholic and, you know, struggled with recovery, but rediscovered this intimate love of God. He says this, to me, it's more important to be loved than to love. When I have not had the experience of being loved by God just as I am, and not as I should be, then loving others becomes a duty, a responsibility, a chore. But if I let myself be loved as I am, with the love of God poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit, then I can reach out to others in a more effortless way. When I really know that I am loved, then I can love. When I have been, when I have been served by Jesus, 
then I can serve. A third century Christian leader named Origen once wrote this prayer. He said, Jesus, my feet are dirty. Come even as a slave to me. Pour water into your bowl. Come and wash my feet, for I long for your companionship. Folks, we need the companionship of the living Christ before we can turn around and touch the world. But that's about the only qualification we need. Just give to others what God has given you. Jesus says, model yourself after me. As I have loved you, love. As I have served you, serve. As I have led you, lead. And it is in this kind of servant mode that we will have our greatest impact for the Lord. It is this kind of servant mode that the words of, where the words of the gospel become real. What does it mean for us to model that kind of servant heart in the way that we live? Well, first, it's non-condescending. Not even sure that's a word, but I, I think it's a good one. Brennan Manning told uh, this story once. He said when Brennan was waiting to catch a plane in the Atlanta airport, he sat down in one of those many places where usually black men shine white men's shoes. You know what I'm talking about. Not only black man shined Brennan's shoes and Brennan paid him, tipped him handsomely, and then looked at the elderly man and said, Now, sir, I would like to shine your shoes. And the man recoiled and stepped back and said, You're going to do what? And Brennan said, I'd like to shine your shoes. Come on, you sit down here. How would you like them done? And the man began to cry. And tears just rolled down his cheeks. And he said, No white man has ever talked to me like this before. What he was saying was no white man had ever treated him like a human being, had ever shown him respect, had ever connected with him on equal footing. It is that kind of selfless action that most reflects the love of Jesus that he has for us. John says in verse 1 that Jesus is showing us the full extent of his love, and it is all wrapped around humility. People who get pushed out of shape when they have to serve, make a big deal out of it, stooping to help, stooping to your level. Oh boy. Reluctantly washing feet? I don't think so. Parents stooping to play with a child, feeling like it's a big deal to do something on a child's level. Sam Shoemaker once said, the pious who stoop down in a slumming kind of way to the orbit of pagans and sinners will never reach them. Let me say that again. The pious who stoop down in a slumming kind of way to the orbit of pagans and sinners will never reach them. So non-condescending. Secondly, low profile. Not looking for attention. That you can survive without getting the credit. Just do it because that's who you are. You see a need and you go for it. You just do it without waiting for recognition. While back I was having breakfast uh, meeting at the diner that was across the street from my church with a church member. And we saw some guys coming out of the church uh, that was across the street after their men's small group Bible study that morning. They were coming over to the diner to have breakfast. And I watched as they stopped and just started to pick up trash that had blown onto the church property. It's not their job. Nobody asked them to do it. But they got their hands wet and dirty. Nobody was going to say thanks to them for cleaning up the church. But it was just natural for them to do it because they had servant hearts. Third, sense of vulnerability. Later in verse 21, Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful. He was troubled in spirit. He didn't hide that from the disciples. He showed it. I love the fact that he was vulnerable. 
I'm hurting. I'm hurting. Jesus let them know that serving sometimes hurts. Parents and children, you know, sometimes children grow up believing that their parents are superhuman, that dads will never cry or never make a mistake. Grow up thinking, you know, I could never do that. And that's how real bad stuff happens when people, when they don't understand that adults make mistakes. And so we have to admit that to our kids and say, I'm sorry. I blew it with you. I made a mistake. Is that weakness to admit you made a mistake? To say I made the wrong decision? Sure, you can go out tonight. Get in by nine, but you can go out. There's a church in Santa Fe, New Mexico that has a hand-lettered sign hanging over the only door into the sanctuary that reads, Servant's Entrance. There isn't any way in or out of that church except through the service door. That's for us. Means that I'm not always being noticed or appreciated. Great people aren't always famous people. The good that you do is not always welcomed. You can tell whether you're becoming a servant by how you act when people treat you like one, when they take advantage of your good heart, when you are overlooked, when you are serving and you're not recognized, when nobody says thank you and you're not appreciated. That's how you begin to know whether or not you've actually got a servant's heart. Remember, there was another whose feet Jesus washed that night, and that was Judas. Can you imagine the feelings going through Jesus' heart as he sets the bowl down in front of Judas? I'm not going to wash your stinking feet. You're going to betray me. Probably he was tempted to say, to hell with him. I'm so glad Jesus doesn't say that. Being a servant leader like Jesus means having a willingness to risk, to stick your neck out, not just to play it safe. Last uh, episode, we were sort of challenged to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Today, the challenge is to take up your towel and serve like Jesus. It might be easier to make some grand sacrifice than to daily model and live out the humble, loving servant heart of Jesus to those around us. Come, get washed, but then come, take up your towel and serve, because that's the heart of God's good news God's wabi-sabi. Amen. Have a great, great week. Mm-hmm.